0: The topic that we will discuss in our sermon series today, as we continue this series on renewing our minds, um, it's probably the one that is the most hotly debated in our society today. So today we're talking about gender and biological sex. Now, if you would have told me 20 years ago that that I would have would be making the statement that I just made, I, I'm not sure I would have believed it. Now, it's not something that's brand new. It's not a new topic, but but has come to uh, come to the forefront, really, of societal discussion lately. And so, uh, you know, we as a society are wrestling with one of the foundational questions regarding what it means to be a man or a woman, to be a boy or a girl. And it's a conversation that uh, that we as followers of Jesus desperately need to be involved in. Our, our, Our society needs us to take a loving and firm stance on the truth regarding gender and biological sex. But if we are going to do that, as the church. If we're going to do that, then we're going to have to have our minds renewed according to the truths of the Bible so that we can do more than just say, well, isn't a person's gender obvious? I mean, God made them male and female. What more do we need? Right? We, we have to be able to say more than that. Now, that's, a, that's absolutely true, what I just said but there's more that needs to be said in our context today. The questions that our society is asking and people are asking within our society are much deeper than that. The good news is that God addresses those deep questions within the Bible. And so if we're willing to accept his truth and accept his wisdom, then we'll find that that he's given us what we need in this context. so my prayer is that as, as we grow in our own understanding of, of who we are, of our identity as gendered beings, then we'll be able to help others think about their identity as well. So, so that's my hope and my prayer. You know, as we've done a couple times already in this sermon series, we're going to start today in the opening chapters of Genesis. Now, I've already referenced the statement made in chapter 1, verse 27, which says that God created male and female. Um, but what I want to draw our attention to, and this is not to take away from that statement, but I want to draw our attention to one that, that I, I think we might often overlook. Um, it's, it's something that, that speaks to our very essence as human beings. So if you turn with me to Genesis chapter two. Now Genesis chapters one and two give us two complementary accounts of creation. Chapter one is, is a poetic, very repetitive account. Chapter two is, uh, it speaks of the same event, but, but in a more prose narrative form of writing. So, so in Genesis chapter two, Uh, Look with me starting in verse five. It says, When no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground. And a mist was going up from the land, and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man of the dust from the ground." the man of dust from the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. Now, I want to I focus on verse seven, primarily. Here we see that God, God was creating man by performing two distinct actions. So one, God formed man from the dust of the ground, and then two, God breathed life into man. And the language used here is is crucial to understanding our makeup as human beings. So what we see is that first, God formed the man from the dust. God forming man's physical body speaks of purpose, speaks of intention. Um, it's, it's the image of a potter deliberately forming a lump of clay into exactly what he or she wants it to be. It's um, it's a carpenter, right? Measuring, cutting, sanding a piece of wood into exactly the shape that it needs to be. So that's the picture that we get here. And, and we need to notice also that it wasn't just a physical body that was formed but the man himself was formed from the dust. Again, the language is so important here. The man himself was formed. This means that God didn't place Adam into a body, right, but formed Adam as a body. So it wasn't God just made something, and okay, now I'm going to put a man into it. He formed Adam as a body and until the next phrase the body is all that adam is at this point our bodies are are not just physical containers for our true selves our bodies are part of who we are and we see it all the way back in genesis chapter 2. our identity cannot be separated from our physical body but we are not only a body. We are more than that, which is the second action that God performs. God then breathes into Adam with the breath of life, and he becomes a a living nefesh, is the the Hebrew word there. It's, It's most often translated as soul. Once God breathed into Adam, he became a living being comprised of both body and soul together. One of those things is not more Adam than the other. I'll say it again because it's crucial. One of those things, body or soul, is not more Adam than the other one. All are equally Adam. This is the picture that we're getting here from the very beginning. The two things, body and soul, they they are in harmony together, and they are intended to never be separated. It's only death brought about by sin that separates body and soul, and, and that only temporarily until Jesus returns, and body and soul will be reunited once again. So... Before we talk specifically about gender and biological sex, we we have to start here. We have to recognize that we as human beings are comprised equally of body and soul. We are both material and immaterial together. We are both physical and spiritual together. Now, now for some of us, that, that truth in and of itself requires us to look at our own bodies in a radically different way than we currently do. God has formed us, bodies included, as he desired them to be. Now, we live in a fallen world. Our, Our bodies in this fallen world are broken. And we're right to mourn and grieve that brokenness that we see. We can look forward to that time when God will completely restore our body at the resurrection. But even in this fallen existence, our bodies are part of who we are. So before, any, before we go any further in the discussion, we, we have to establish that fact that God reveals to us in his word that we are both body and soul. And we have to accept that reality if we are going to ever be able to view ourselves correctly view ourselves as God does. So that's the foundation this morning that we need to jump off from. One of the things you've, you've maybe heard discussed in our context today is that uh, the idea that gender and biological sex are disconnected things. Or at the very least that gender is not bound by biological sex. Um, biological sex is often viewed according to the physical reproductive organs we possess and gender is often viewed as a, a socially constructed thing which we must navigate in order to express our true identity. Now what we see when we examine the Bible is that there is no separation between gender and biological sex and I want to give just two specific examples this morning, one from the Old Testament, one from the New Testament. So in Deuteronomy chapter 22, um, the first 12 verses in that chapter, uh, it's kind of interesting, just contains various, even the, the heading in the ESV is various laws. It's kind of a hodgepodge of, of laws. They reference, uh, there's one about an ox that goes astray, there's a bird's nest that fell on the ground, there's how to construct the roof of a house, I mean, truly, uh, truly a hodgepodge. And in the midst of this, in verse 5, we get this command from God. It says, a man, excuse me, a woman shall not wear a man's garment, nor shall a man put on a woman's cloak, for whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord your God. Now, let's, let's ask the question, why would God care about the clothes that a man or a woman wears? I mean, that's a valid question. Why would God care? The only thing that makes a man's garment a man's garment is the culture, right? The only thing that makes a woman's cloak a woman's cloak is the culture. If I put on a skirt here, you'd say that's women's clothing. If I wear a kilt in Scotland, you'd say that's man, men's clothing, right? So, so why does God care what clothes a person wears when those things are dictated by culture anyway. You know, to use today's language, right, the, the, the kind of clothes people wear, it's simply a cultural gender construct. So, so why does it matter to God? Well, the reason it matters is because a message is being communicated by the person who wears the clothes. So for, for a biological man to purposefully wear what, a, what culture sees as women's clothing is an attempt to separate gender from biological sex and, and vice versa as well. And because gender is not separate from biological sex, God's people were to live accordingly. That's why he told them, men don't wear women's clothes, women don't wear men's clothes. They were not to pretend that gender and biological sex could be separated or could be changed one way or the other. So that's an example from from the Old Testament. Uh, For the New Testament, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. This is the chapter where uh, Paul famously discusses head coverings. Now let me say, there are Bible-believing Jesus-loving, God-honoring Christians throughout history and today who come to different interpretations regarding whether Paul's words about wearing head coverings is a universal command or one specific to that culture. We're not entering that specific conversation today. What I wanna point out is that when you read through that section, verses two through 16, Paul writes what he does because he understands there to be a direct link between a person's biological sex and their gender. Whether you view a head covering to be a universal symbol or just a cultural symbol, it's still a symbol, right? It's still a symbol, it still communicates something. Paul understood that, that's why he wrote what he wrote. And again, you can fall on either side of of that debate about whether or not a head covering should be worn. The prohibition by Paul pertained to both men and women purposefully presenting themselves as a gender opposite of their biological sex. Both ways, he calls it a disgrace in this section. Now, if a person's gender was disconnected from their biological sex, Paul would have no leg to stand on in making this statement. Again, however you would interpret it, universal or, or cultural, it, it wouldn't matter. Paul would not have a leg to stand on. It wouldn't matter whether a biological man appeared to be a man or a woman. But because those things aren't separated, Paul can write what he does. So the Bible is, is clear, it's consistent throughout in showing us that, that biological sex and gender are in agreement with each other. Those, th- those two things are connected. Now, as we have this discussion, we have to recognize that, that our society, just like any society, would have certain gender stereotypes, expectations. And we ought not force people into those. So, for example, two, two common ones in our context. Women are often assumed to be, to be more emotionally sensitive than men. Men are often assumed to like sports more than women. And I think if you, if you took a poll of society at large, you'd probably find that there's some accuracy to those stereotypes. However, that does not mean that men must love sports. It does not mean that women must be emotionally sensitive just because that's the understanding or the expectation of our culture or just because that's more, the more common situation in our culture. What we have to be able to do, we have to recognize that, that there's a difference between someone who says, I'm a man who doesn't like sports, and someone who says, I don't like sports, so I must not be a man. Those are two very different different statements. There's a difference between a woman who says, I'm a woman who's not very emotionally sensitive and someone who says, I'm not emotionally sensitive so I'm not a woman. We can affirm that it is wrong to force a person into specific gender stereotypes while also affirming that it is wrong for a person to purposefully and intentionally present themselves as a gender opposite of their biological sex. We, we can do both of those things, we should do both of those things at the same time. Now, maybe put a little differently, it's important for us to recognize that alignment with cultural customs or stereotypes doesn't make a person a man or a woman. And at the same time, purposefully utilizing those cultural stereotypes and customs in order to present oneself as opposite the, the opposite their gender and biological sex is spoken of against in the Bible. So to really summarize all that, the, the Bible does not speak of, it does not infer a separation between biological sex and gender. It's consistent throughout that those two things are united. And further, we are led to not act in such a way as to try to separate those two things. And the reason that we should not seek to separate those and attempt to make ourselves into whatever we want to be is because attempting to do so is rebellion against our God. It's rebellion against our creator, God. It is is to seek to place ourselves in the position of authority over God. Remember back to Genesis chapter 2 where we're told that the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground. That word translated as formed is the Hebrew word yasar. It speaks of purposeful fashioning and framing. It's actually the very word used for potter, the same word. So it's, and it's actually the same word, I wanna uh, read a couple places in the book of Isaiah where this word is used and it uh, just gives us some good clarity here. So in Isaiah 29, verse 16, and this is God speaking, he says, you turn things upside down, shall the potter be regarded as the clay? that the thing made should say of its maker, he did not make me, or the thing formed, say of him who formed it, he has no understanding. And then similarly in chapter 45 of Isaiah, verse nine, again God speaking, says, woe to him who strives with him who formed him, there's that word again, a pot among earthen pots. Does the clay say to him who forms it, What are you making? Or, Your work has no handles. In, in both of those passages in Isaiah, we're reminded that God himself is the Yasar. He is the one forming, and we are the thing formed. We have as much right to interrogate our creator as the clay pot has to interrogate the potter who formed it. And yet, in our fallen nature, that's exactly what we do, isn't it? And, and not only do we question God's ways and purposes, but we rebel against him by seeking to do things our own way. And, and, and this, so this applies to the current discussion regarding a person's attempt to change their gender, but it is not limited to that area by any means, every one of us could examine ourselves and find a situation where we attempted to do things our own way in opposition to God's purposes and God's commands. We can all find a way where we've attempted to question the potter. And when we've done that, we've rebelled against God and sought to set ourselves up in authority over him. Now we maybe wouldn't have verbalized our actions in that way, right? We don't usually say it that way, but and we maybe didn't even realize that that's what we're doing, but that's what we were doing. That's what I've done when I've tried to go my own way and say, God, I know what you say, but I don't think it's quite right. Similarly, a, a person struggling with gender confusion may not realize that the rebelling against God when they attempt to change their gender, but at the heart of the matter, that's what's taking place. The clay pot is trying to exert authority over the potter. There's a spiritual battle taking place there that may or may not be recognized. How we respond to that spiritual battle taking place, whether it's within ourselves or or within somebody else, how we respond is so important, it matters so much. It's important that we understand the truth about our biological sex and gender, that both are a part of our identity and both are joined together as created by God. And it's also important that we recognize that we live in a fallen world. A person's body and mind are both fallen due to sin. And so we must find compassion for the person who struggles with the tension of feeling like their gender and their biological sex don't align. We must be able to find compassion there. Now, we, we can jump to conclusions about a person when we learn of that struggle within them. But the truth is that, man, there's so many things that can be at the root of that struggle. Uh, and it doesn't always come from trauma. It doesn't always come from Sinful situations. I, um, I read about a woman who grew up in a family where her dad was the stereotypical rough and tough kind of guy, and her mom was the the stereotypical gentle, quiet woman. Her struggle grew from the fact that she was more like her dad in personality. She just was. I mean, parents, we know this, right? We see our kids, and at times they'll, they'll, man, you're really acting like your dad there, really acting like your mom. Well, she. She was like her dad, and she had trouble understanding what that meant for her as a woman. She wrestled with this season of significant gender confusion. That, that's a real thing. The, the, the struggle between body and mind is a real struggle. Different studies have, have stated that, that up to 40% of people who identify as transgender have attempted suicide not just thought about it but attempted it that ought to break our hearts right the pain stemming from gender confusion is real it is real pain and and i would argue that that we as christians ought to be some of the most compassionate people in this area because we we can understand the struggle between body and, mind, and we can even see it as typical in our fallen world. We, we have a biblical framework for this tension. Um, turn with me to Romans chapter 7. And I'm going to start with verse 13. As, as I read through this passage, try to see it with fresh eyes and, and consider whether or not Paul struggles with a battle taking place between his body and his mind. Now, it's not a tension regarding gender, but but do we see the tension between the material and the immaterial in this? So, so let me read Romans 7, uh, verse 13. Did that which is good, then, bring death to me? By no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good, in order that sin might be shown to be sin, and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law, that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law, waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. And then he ends, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I've always found the visible agony in this passage to be gripping. Paul is not describing some abstract struggle that a person might have. I mean, He is clearly describing his own first-hand experience within himself. He doesn't, he doesn't understand why he does the things he does. His, his mind or the immaterial part of his being desires to act one way and his physical body is pulled by sin in another direction. So he does the things he doesn't want to do and he doesn't do the things that he wants to do. Again, Paul is not wrestling with gender confusion here, but the general description applies. You may not have ever had serious wrestling with gender confusion in your life either, but that doesn't mean that you haven't dealt with tension within yourself, being a person who's saved by grace and yet still battling the old sinful nature a battle that is played out in our minds and in our bodies as we go throughout our lives. And it's one with which we are familiar, and so it ought to lead us to a place of compassion for those dealing with gender confusion. Now, in general, and I'm speaking, I'm speaking in generalities here, but, but in general, the church hasn't done super well. It, being a place for someone to wrestle with gender confusion. Uh, Sometimes it's maybe just due to ignorance on the topic, we haven't haven't really had our minds renewed like we need to. Sometimes it's due to unloving responses that the church has had, sometimes it's been due to hateful tirades. Um, I hate to have to claim that, but, but the church has done that in the past. The solution isn't to waver on the truth, It's not to waver on the truth of the Bible and and go along with the pressure from our society. The solution isn't to agree that that gender can be changed at any time for any reason. That's not the solution. The solution comes as, as we compassionately recognize the turmoil that a person feels when experiencing gender confusion. We can reflect on our own struggles with brokenness in this fallen world. And then as we compassionately respond We proclaim the truth of the gospel and the truth of God creating us as beings who are embodied souls. That's who we are as a human being. So I I would say to us here, I I want anyone here to know this morning that if you're struggling with gender confusion, I, I long to be a safe person that you can talk to. And, and I'm not using that word safe in the same way that, that society uses it, but safe in that I long to hear your story, I long to empathize with your pain, and I long to share with you the truth that's been revealed by our loving creator God who has formed us, right, purposefully, intentionally. And, I, and I'm, not, I'm not the only one, I know many of us here would, would echo that, that statement this morning as well in our present societal context, there really is only one message regarding gender confusion that is consistently and loudly proclaimed in the mainstream. It's really only one message. And unfortunately, it's not a message that brings hope or healing, not true hope and healing. It's not a message that that helps a person recognize that, that both their soul and their body are purposefully created by God. It's not a message that, that leads a person to live in humble and blessed submission to their potter, to their creator. So it's, it's so important that our minds be renewed according to God's word in this area. Because the way we think about this topic matters. Uh, the way we talk about people stru- struggling with gender confusion matters. The words we post on social media matter. The way we treat people in their pain and their struggle matters. Our, our, our society and, and individuals in our lives need us, desperately need us, to be the hands and feet of Jesus in this area. We have to get this right in the years ahead. We do, it very well may be the defining issue in the American church over the next decade. We need to be ready for it. Um, One thing, if you'd like to dive a little deeper yet on on the topic, um, the the discipleship email that's gonna go out at noon today, there's a link in there to a really helpful article I came across, I thought just just presented things so well, included the story about the woman I shared earlier who struggled with, in fact, she was more like her dad than her mom. Um, that story was in there. Um, it's an article that's actually part of a series, and, and so I can't, I can't vouch for everything in the series, but the one article that, uh, uh, it's because I haven't read the other ones uh, in, in their entirety, but the one that I'm sending, um, I will vouch for. Um, it's well worth your time. It's a good way to, to continue thinking, having our minds renewed in this. I, I believe that, that if we submit ourselves to God's purposes, in this area. He will bring to us over and over again individuals who are struggling in this area. And, and while I mean that for the church as a whole, I, I mean that for Eureka Bible Church. And I don't just mean bring person into this room, but I mean into our workplaces, in our schools, our classrooms, our neighborhoods. Right? That there will be people who will come to us that God will bring to us. I mean, we talked about divine appointments, right, that the Columbia team uh, said over and over again. I believe God will, will create those divine appointments for those who are struggling in this area and need to know the truth that is compassionately spoken to them. Will God see fit to lead people who are struggling with gender confusion toward our church body? I, I hope so. I hope he sees fit to do that. I, I pray in the words of Romans, two, Romans 12 too that, that as we renew our minds in this area, God's good and acceptable and perfect will would be to see a great many people find healing in this area as, as God works in us and through us at the same time. That's my prayer. So let's stand together, let's, let's come before God and pray that he would provide what we need. Because This is a hot topic in our culture today, so let's pray that he'll guide us in the midst of it, not to survive, but to thrive and proclaim hope. Father, we come before you this morning, um, each one of us formed by you. I'm so thankful for the picture you give us, Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, of of you creating us. And God, I thank you especially for that picture in Genesis 2 where you you are forming us. You are intricately involved in making us into who we are, soul and body. God, for each one of us, would you help us to lean into that more and more? God, would you help us to understand more deeply what that means, how that affects who we are and how we live. God, I thank you that even though sin has marred us, that you've done the work to restore us and redeem us. You've started that work here and now, so we've put our faith in you. You're going to complete that work in eternity upon your return. We're so grateful for that. Thank you for the hope, for the joy that that brings. God, you know, there's, there's many in our culture that are struggling in this area. There's statements made within our culture that, that just miss the truth. God, miss the truth about who we are as humans. God, would you continue to renew our minds in this area? Would you ground us in your word? We can stand firmly upon the reality of who we are as humans and compassionately share that with those around us. God guide us in that. We, we know the difficulty of it. We know the, the, the strong emotions that come out in this discussion. God, what would you go ahead of us? Would you pave the way that hope and love can be communicated? lives can be transformed, God, by you. We're thankful that you are God. We're thankful that words that were written thousands of years ago are not just still true today, but are extremely applicable today. We praise you for that, God. We pray all these things in your name. Amen.